Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsbirth.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. We are live-ish. <laughs> we are just pretending we're live. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel live. I still feel very alive. Because it's morning for us, Brandon. This is great. I'm firing on all cylinders here. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to this. I can't <laughs> wait to get that. It's a weak subject for me. But when we do get into it, this is going to be so, somewhere where we can seriously pick your brains because we're all very confused on this on this particular topic we want to talk about. But before we talk about that, thanks to everybody on Patreon. You'll find us on Raw Pet Medics at patreon.com. Uh, that's been really helpful, guys, and it's, uh, it, it just keeps us going. And it helps us to do more exciting things. But uh, for tonight, Bren, we are going to be talking about cough. This is a subject uh, I can't say I'm an absolute expert on, and it's one I'm highly dubious of, as I imagine lots of people listening are. So I am definitely going to be the, the uh, concerned pet owner here this uh, situation because i need to pick the brains on all things cough so can we just start at the start you know my dog seems to be coughing is coughing okay and i'm bringing him to the vet tell us start us off so look there's many different causes of cough uh and we're going to concentrate um on those different causes of cough in the infectious causes tonight because really that's where kennel cough it's an infectious cough that we want to deal with and the many constituent parts. There are other sorts of cough um, which will uh, be looked at by your vet. Um, that could be down to the heart and heart disease, asthma and allergies. Um, so, you know, if you've got more of a wheeze, a sort of soft cough, I call it a <laughs> sort of cough, then we may be looking at slightly different um, aspects. But if you've got a really mucusy, productive cough, um, a bit coarser, more of a <clears throat> yeah. sort of cough, then you need to be thinking there may be an infectious, especially if they're off color, they've got a temperature, then we're talking infectious uh, causes of cough. And we need to put to bed some of the um, misunderstandings around uh, kennel cough, what that means. Is it an individual disease or is it a syndrome? Is it a combination of many different options of infections? So let's let's concentrate about the infectious causes tonight. Before you um, leave, before you leave asthma, dogs can get asthma. That's new to me. Um, do I mean do you just blast them with the steroid inhaler? <laughs> or what? Well, look, you know, so all of these have different ways of diagnosing them. But yeah, you know, ultimately not ideal to have to resort back to uh, steroid inhalers or, or any no. sort of medication. It's looking at why is that level of inflammation got to a point where they've got cells within the airways which are causing massive histamine release. We've talked to many of the lives about histamine buildup and release and yeah. you know the levels of inflammation that can lead to that. So guys, if you want to look at that, you know there's there's lots of stuff on skin, on on gut, um, which will come into when we talk about allergies. Uh, and that's really where we talk about asthma as well. That's especially with cats, especially with cats. That's nuts. And uh, can dogs get off from uh, somebody that's smoking inside their house? Uh, yeah, so again, absolutely the same as um, you know, looking at the, the causes of cough for people. Um, 
But you know, what happens with smoke and the irritation and therefore inflammation that will happen within the airways, but also the effect, the motor effect on the cilia, um, those so where the mucus is produced in the, the chest and how the, the cilia on the cells yeah, or any of the airways will actually pump that mucus out um, and clear the airways. It can be inhibited by the smoke. So not just not the nicotine, physical tar and, and you know, um, particulate matter and stuff that thickens the mucus and also inhibits the cilia from functioning. Ah, so that's why you have to hack it up more because it's it just doesn't come up as easy. That's interesting. Yeah, it's not so liquid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that is interesting. Um, so, yeah, okay. So I'm presenting with a cough. So now you're telling me that, uh, you know, kennel cough is just one type of infection that can cause cough. So what's the first thing you do to tell me which type of cough has brought my dog into the clinic? Right. Well, look, you know, uh, have they got a temperature? Have they been in contact with other dogs? So if a temperature, if they've got a virus or a bacterial infection? That's usually an indicator. If they've got a temperature, it points more likely that they've got an issue with an infection. And I'm sure if you've ever had a cough or a cold, um, you know, or your child has, they don't always has a fever. So, you know, they've got the, the, the number 11 runny nose. They've yeah. got, the, you know, the, the bit of a cough as they come back from school. So temperature isn't necessary. So it then becomes about contact. Um, and they've never been in contact with other dogs other than, you know, maybe your own little pack. The likelihood of an infectious cause is much less likely. It's, it's very remote. However, if you're a social animal or you've got a dog walker um, or you go to training classes, generally all of these infectious coughs are nose to nose within that space, that airspace. You know, even for dog walkers that maybe walk their dog separately, but they all go in the same van. Yeah. That's a risk. Um, you know, uh, so this is one of the reasons that they became known as kennel cough, because obviously that was one of the big areas that dogs used to mix. People go on holiday, they put their dogs into kennels, strangers dog together, and before you know it, you can get a raft of oh, yeah. infection going through or indeed in rescue organizations yeah, yeah, or yeah. In, in charity organizations that yeah. may be training lots of dogs together. I mean, you yeah. work in guide dogs. That's you know? right. I, I always say the same analogy with kennel cough. You would see it sweeping through the kennels. Like, I mean, and because you don't want to take the dogs out of training, it costs them much. But I mean, one dog gets it, forget about isolating them and all that. It's done. And it's just like, bup, 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 bup. not all the dogs get it, uh, but within a day, a lot of them are coughing and in come the, the vets again. And as I always say, we, don't, we would say to the vet, you know, we have been dosing these dogs up to the eyeballs. They're the most dosed dogs on the planet. Uh, what's the story with the cough? And they said, oh, it's not always effective, which leads to my confusion on kennel cough. Which we're going to explore now. So we'll yeah, come back absolutely. To that. We're going to yeah. explore. So very, very infectious. This, uh, uh, and is that the case with all viral causes of cough? Are they all generally, that's why you're coughing, because it wants to spread itself around? The obvious uh, uh, way of these viruses getting from patient to patient are going to be you know, that level. And, and the thing to remember, it's not that you were in contact with them yesterday. It's, you know, usually these will have at least three, but generally a seven day window time. or incubation, we call that. So that's basically from them receiving the virus or bacteria into their systems to mature enough to um, replicate enough to get to a point where it's going to cause disease, yeah. cough in your dog. 
can generally take about seven days. Okay. okay? Okay. Uh, so they taught three to 10 days as this incubation period. Generally, it's about seven days. So actually, kennel cough as a syndrome is labeled for all of those infectious coughs. It can be given in a kennel environment. Yeah. So this is why you could dose them up to the eyeballs, as you said, yeah. with a protective vaccine for the serious one. You're not giving as different uh as uh, anything from a viral cause yeah yeah okay so you're never going to be protective against the other causes so um and this is absolutely not just yourself but yeah. most kennels will say i don't know why we bother with that it's just not effective yeah because they'll experience those infectious coughs that rip through their kennels um you know bacteria like pasteurellas um, you know, even yeah. uh, staphylococcal uh, infections, yeah. Yeah. all of these can cause this. Well, kennel um, cough is the broad umbrella term for all these things that can cause cough. So if you're just vaccinating for one of them, well, you've got all these other things that could have been causing it. So look, some really easy, simple rules are, one, if you've been in contact with other dogs, okay, and that enables you to rule out that they've eaten some grass and it's got stuck the wrong place or they've... Yeah. But if they've been in contact with other dogs, you know from talking to your friends on the park, then the thing to do is, one, quickly talk to them. Well, how long did it last in your dog? Okay. If the cough lasted for two to three days, maybe even up to seven days, and then subsided, then generally that is going to be either a weak bacteria or a virus. And it's just worked its way through the system. Okay. And that means that you can almost plan your own dog's illness. Yeah. And give some really simple things that actually, you know, going back to this, trying to avoid overuse of antibiotics and steroids and things like that, thinking about, you know what? Look, just, you know, give some vitamin C, um, get some immune stimulants on there, things like echinacea, echinacea. and just, you know, wrap them up. Don't be walking them on a collar. Absolutely. Then, as Nick said, there are a couple of other ways, literally tracheal irritation. So this is the airway that runs from the back of your throat down to your lungs. If you run your fingers up and down your throat, you'll feel it. You can feel it also in your dogs. If you just give that a little squeeze in your dog, okay, not hard, please don't choke your dog. If you just give them a little pinch, we call it, generally there are only a few serious coughs that will cause the level of irritation which will cause them at that point to cough because most of them will have a sore throat yeah not necessarily a tracheal irritation okay okay and so if you do a tracheal pinch and they are honking okay you know it's like a <gasps> yeah then that is more concerning that it's more likely to be this border teller okay. in but I would definitely say the only definitive way to be absolutely sure would be to do this bronchiolar uh, lavage, yeah. which effectively allows us to look at the cells that are being reproduced, look at the, the organisms within the mucus under the cytology, the, the looking down the microscope, and then also the cultures. Some of these can be extremely hard to culture, and especially the viruses and how they have to culture those. Uh, can be extremely hard. So don't be disappointed if your vet 
just takes a normal swab yeah. and comes back and says, we couldn't grow anything. So after the tracheal pinch, and let's say you're still not sure, you're, you're leaning towards, uh, okay, this is quite a nasty cough. What do you do then as the vet? So look, we've got to check what's happening with the, the glands. You know, how severe is it? Do we need to protect that dog because it can cause them to go off their food? It could cause them, you know, airway restriction. You know, you've got to be saying to them, please, keeps those dogs isolated from other dogs. Now, within the household, it's probably already gone through the whole house. Yeah. But when we're talking about friends and family's dog coming to visit or going out on walk, don't let them mix whilst you can still hear a cough. This has been really the advice from onset of symptoms that we've talked about for humans, why they talked initially about a 10 to 14 day isolation period to stop people going out and... Yeah. Yeah, so that's the advice you give to them, but this might be Bortel or it might be something else. What are the treatments that you have in your repertoire to help improve the dog or is there anything needed by the, the, not the things you've just mentioned, your vitamin C, your echinacea, your rest, manuka honey, the things that we know do help? Look, there are particular antibiotics, okay? Uh, now, some have different reps as far as the side effects, et cetera. Uh, some of the trimethoprim sulfur um, ones can be very good against Bordetella but they have a risk of immune-mediated disease associated with them. Uh, you know, we've talked about this with Nick in previous episodes um, uh, that can lead to things like dry eye, to polyarthritis, even, uh, you know, getting uh, other problems around the body with blood, um, you know, issues, et cetera. So, you know, remember, not everything is risk-free, if you use one of those antibiotics, you've got to weigh that up against the severity of cough. And certainly you want to avoid the pneumonia situation. So if your dog is deteriorating and struggling to breathe and oxygenate and get up and around, absolutely go back to your vet and say, look, you know, maybe we do need to, to take yeah. next step. What's the descent of pneumonia, Bren? What's that descent? If it started off as Bordetella and it goes down into the lungs, why does it suddenly become pneumonia? Uh, because it's usually actually the secondary infection. So the Bordetella will interfere with the normal um, mucus um, elevator situation of, of getting the mucus out of the, the, the yeah. lungs. Um, and what you then get is secondary infection. So you'll get compounding with other um, issues that can become a problem. Uh, and, you know, those are, you know, where you get multiple bacteria and viruses mixing together. And this is often the way with the viruses, that actually the primary viruses are very unlikely to cause a serious infection. It becomes the secondary bacteria right. and fungal infections That's right. that can absolutely uh, knock the, the patient on the head. That's exactly why they say Lyme disease and co-infections, that the initial disease or what you think is the virus is almost irrelevant by the time they've caught us two or three months down the line because suddenly an upsurge of viruses that might have been sitting dormant in your system for a long time that you might have beaten ages ago, but they're not fully gone. And, uh, and yeast and fungi are mentioned in that. And so it's like anything can rise up. They see and they take advantage of a weakened environment. And they just, uh, you know, it's, oh, that's so interesting. So yes, Lyme disease and co-infections, this sounds very much like this. So mm -hmm. then it becomes a much more difficult uh, 
king to tame then, Brian, I imagine, once it becomes... Because you run away into a cascade of yeah. you know, inflammation in the lung, uh, which impedes yet further their ability to uh, fight the infection, but also to um, get oxygen through and, and to the organs that are required. You know, so yeah. I think... Okay. Um, you know, those, that's why we want to avoid pneumonia at all costs. Okay, that makes sense. That's a little bit about the vitamin C. Like, can you just buy ascorbic acid, which is your vitamin C? Can I just buy vitamin C in the natural health shop and pop it in my dog? Yeah, so this is a really interesting point. And actually, somebody asked this last week, um, you know, with they were told to just feed a standard diet and, and give vitamin C, uh, but it didn't work for their dog's um, limb deformity because they had not a, a bone disorder, but a, 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 a soft tissue issue that was causing okay. some deformity. And, and I pointed out that actually you can't do that. You know, diet, the base of diet should never be reduced. You know, that's, uh, the, the, you know, using yeah. bone broths and, and great, you know, supports, you know, chicken soup, you know, it's, it is effectively a bone broth. You know, it's great for supporting your normal gut flora and your immune system. So yeah. you should be using that. But vitamin C comes in many forms. And yeah, we talk about this a lot with artificial minerals and vitamins. You know, doing research, often they're using the ideal natural source of these vitamins. Then a company coming along and saying, do you know what? I can source that really cheaply by making it in an artificial vat yeah. and pretending that because the molecule looks similar, yeah. that it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, look, vitamin... C is a great antioxidant, uh, really useful in those circumstances. And most dogs will get enough of that just through eating their meat, okay? Uh, and the general, um, you know, there's some really interesting uh, research about um, actually if you've got good fresh meat, that you don't need all of this fruit and veg that they worry about with scurvy, okay? It's oh. only when you put um, people onto the dried biscuit diet where there wasn't fresh meat available, that scurvy became an issue. And it wasn't necessarily that the, the fruit and veg... Yeah, it was simplified was to limes, you know, yeah. but come on. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get that. Um, but, like, surely with vitamin C, you need so much of it. I mean, I see Bill and Hurst there. Uh, he's recommending moderate stress, 200 milligrams per, per kilo of dog. I mean, that's a, that's a serious, serious um, dose. And then 300 milligrams for moderate stress. Like, so they, they don't put vitamin C in pet food because dogs, when they're healthy, can make their own vitamin C to some, point, some degree, but certainly not when they're, when they're unhealthy. But, so what about dosing with vitamin C? What's the advice? So I think now that what you've got to understand there is, again, it's what type of vitamin C. He's not okay. specified. And I feel that he's had to go that high because he will go for what's readily available on the yeah. If you go for ascorbic acid, you know, it's cheap, so there's no real limits. Yeah. It's really hard to overdose with vitamin C. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, the, the only thing you're really going to be limited by is the level of diarrhea you get. Um, what you need to look at there is, no, if you go for liposomal, so that's surrounded by a fat layer or esterified vitamin C um, that's actually bound to other organic compounds, that helps increase the absorption level. It protects the gut. It also means that it's more readily taken up by cells and utilized for its antioxidant capability. The actual levels that you need in those circumstances can be massively reduced. And so it's all about 
bioavailability. Yeah. So esterified vitamin C, uh, Brand, if we are looking for that, do we just buy that online? I just had a quick little Google to see the comparisons in prices. So esterified, as with your, your minerals, you know, your body wants them in their natural form. You know, so when it's bound to a carbon molecule, you know, it's like you're, you're going with the guy that's invited to the party type thing. Uh, so can we just buy esterified vitamin C online and dose our dogs? Yeah. There are, there are some companies that do Esther C, okay? Uh, Lambert's is one, just as an example, okay? okay? There are many different companies. If you looked out for esterified, this is the bound to other organic compounds to help absorption. Um, that's certainly a way forward. I think the next step up is people recognizing this liposomal vitamin C, which is where it's bound. I've never there. heard of that. So uh, it's, uh, it's the next step up, and you get what you pay for. And it is so difficult because there is no, you know, oh, somebody could charge 500 pounds for that and somebody could charge a fiver. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, there are so many companies out there. I couldn't tell you which one of those was ripping you off and which one of those was on the money with okay. what they're producing. But you are stepping, at least, at least when you start talking about esterified vitamin C and liposomal vitamin C, which is new to me, I need to read up. Uh, so at least you're moving towards a really a much better quality vitamin C. And, that's yeah. Sort of, and yes, it's more expensive, but you use a hell of a lot less of it. So there's that balance as well. Um, okay, that's really interesting. So, um, so, and then there's Echinacea, which studies are showing it's really effective in kennel cough and dogs. Yeah. But Look, there's a few out there, you know, but Echinacea is the most commonly yeah. uh, recognized one, widely available in most pharmacies, you know, on yeah. the... On the High Street, so yeah. you know it's readily recognised and um, certainly easy to give. People often ask, "Well, what dose?" I mean, if you are looking at mother tincture, um, you know, true herbalists, you know, mother tincture, then literally you can be looking at you know half a mil in a bowl of of water a day seems to be enough to affect yeah. a a great response. Uh, remember those tinctures are full of alcohol to preserve, you know, it's the way they've extracted the nutrient, the, the, the valuable uh, yeah, part of the yeah. plant. Um, and so some people would say, please add that to hot water just to evaporate off the excess alcohol. Oh, that's a great tip. Certainly you'd be all right with half a mil, but if you were dropping that, would, the water would have to be over 70 degrees, whatever alcohol goes off at, is it 70? Or, yeah, all right, cool. That's a great tip. And, uh, and so... You can drop that into the water. It'd be great to practice a little bit of zoo pharmacosy here and just see if your dog will select this tiny little drop of echinacea water compared to his normal filtered water. Really interesting to see if, they are, if they're that cute that they can say that I really need that stuff. Um, okay, so and what about any marshmallow, slippery elm? I mean, if you're tearing the throat off yourself. Uh, I would definitely say honey is a great one. Manuka honey can be great, okay? Local honeys, generally we talk about for allergies, okay, yeah. where there's hay fever type symptoms yeah. and things like that because it adds that level of desensitization to pollens. Yeah. But again, it has to be seasonal. It's not just about being local honey. It's about, well, what season was that honey produced oh, in? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, have a little look at that. You know, there's no point in being packed with heather pollens if not That's heather. a really good tip. Yeah, like I, I, I get my, my eggs and honey from a lady down the road, Margaret. Hi, I know you're not listening. Uh, so, uh, but <laughs> she always has eggs and she has the guy who I went to school with who grows his own bees and he's got this great honey. But, you know, they keep a small stock of it and it's constantly replenished. So that's good because if your dog's sensitivities pop up in autumn, well, then it's something possibly around that time that's bothering them. So the honey that's been sitting in the press for the past six months 
mightn't be, uh, it, it won't be as good. That's a really good tip. Love that, Brent. Bloody hell, you're coming up with the goods today. Um, <laughs> so, Brent, what about, like, so they're the sort of natural treatments and stuff that we can do, yeah. but what about getting to the whole vaccine debate here where we say, what is the point? There's so many infectious causes of cough. And to be fair, you know, we seem to be so successful at treating m- most of these coughs ourselves. How do they pick which ones to vaccinate my dog from? So one of the biggest debates within the vaccine or vaccinosis, the disease from vaccines um, uh, element of health, is down to what's added to the vaccine. Okay, so the, what we call it adjuvants and the, um, the preservative. And these are the things that really uh, can cause irritations to the immune system, to excite the immune system, inflammation, and also contain some of the things like mercury salts, like thiamersol. So that's what we really worry about. But for the majority of intranasal kennel coughs or border teller vaccines, none of that is there. What they rely on is that they are using a bacterium which is usually found in a different species. So they use a pig one in this particular case for, for the, um, I think, 90% of the, the dog vaccines. Certainly within the UK, they use the porcine version because it's limited to two to three passages through the mucous membranes, enough to actually stimulate the system and effectively provoke an immune response locally with the appropriate local antibodies in the mucus layer. And it has no preservatives in it. It's, it's freeze-dried, and then you dilute it purely with a sterile water uh, to then put the drops up the nose. Not something that vets love, because yeah. you know how hard it can be. And a yeah. couple of tips for giving it is, one, we say just warm it out of the fridge. Don't give it straight out of the fridge. You just allow it to reach room temperature. We cover their eyes, we tip their heads back, and we dribble from, you know, uh, without putting any big stuff in front of their face, because that's when they start to panic. But I want Sometimes that. even wrapping a towel around the head, just leaving the nose out. Yeah. Even if you as an owner who the dog trusts, rather than having a strange smell of a stranger coming towards them, can do that procedure of just dribbling it down each nostril, it's great. The downside to this is because of how we are reliant on that immunity being provoked, of it being local antibodies within the mucus layers, so the IgAs, IgMs, you know, the secretory antibodies, um, then the immunity doesn't tend to last. It's about 12 to 15 months. That was, I had that later. question waiting, because this is a virus. It's a bacteria. Oh, Bortel is a bacteria. Yes, it is. Same as whooping cough in children. Bordetella, okay, pertussis, okay, uh, is this Bordetella bacterium can cause whooping cough symptoms in across species, okay, and a really irritating cough, okay, and, and that whooping constant cough yeah. that can go on for hours at a time and last for months as an infection. This is why they chose that one particular species to vaccinate against because of how debilitating I see. it can be. If they have to protect against one of them, if there's one you don't want, you don't want Boratella. I can't That's believe right. I went up to this point thinking Boratella was a virus. 
like it, and it's actually a bacteria. So that's, yeah. that tells how much I know. A side point on whooping cough, very interesting. When we're talking uh, 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 probiotics thing, that there was these French researchers that are very convinced that uh, whooping cough is to do with which are good flora. It's these it's pathogenic bacteria getting in there, uh, pertussis, and what it does is it's, it's starting to produce this reaction in your child because children that have whooping cough are overfed uh, because we're trying to keep them quiet. So when they're quiet, what do we do? We give them more milk because they're so, so distressed with this cough. And when you give them milk, they're quiet. So it could be that this is, well, it is. This is what the bacteria is trying to do, is making you cough to get this. As this bacteria says, I want more milk. Actually, what you've got there is a dysbiosis. Yes. And then you feed them, uh, like particularly sugary bottle milk, you feed them that, and they get what they want. So get sugar, get sugar, get sugar, get sugar. Induce more cough, boom. Kids quiet, get sugar. So kids with whooping cough are overweight, are far more likely to be overweight, and probiotics are proven effective in treating whooping cough. So I just thought that was fascinating. It's like a kind of, anyway, back to Bordetella. So let's talk about that, because there are, around the world, there are different approaches. There is actually an injectable version around the world, but it's not very effective. And it's been around for 20, 30 years, but it's not very effective this is why we tend to give the intranasal one because it is so effective, but only against Bordetella. So that's the, the, the actual vaccine debate. Okay. People will say, we've given this, this um, Bordetella vaccine and then the dogs have come down with a cough. Yeah. And then it's passed around. You give a minor infection with an alien bacteria that can't actually multiply but your dog is already harboring one of the other infectious causes of cough, you can get it so that the immune system opens the door and the other virus becomes a problem or the other bacteria becomes a problem. That's interesting because you've dealt with the first bit there very adequately now, which is great. I'm totally straight on that. You are vaccinating the Bordetella because you're worried about Bordetella. It's not something you want. The vaccine is very effective for Bordetella but there's a lot of different causes of cough. So that'll clear it up a lot for people. The second thing that comes after that is, okay, we understand now that it's porcine-based, it's pig-based, which is very interesting, which means it's not going to get to the infectious state. It's not going to infect the animal cells and replicate. Okay, that's very interesting. Then uh, people will say, which you're, you're just touching on there, you give kennel cough and they shed kennel cough and other dogs get kennel cough from my dog. I'll take away the word kennel there. They give the kennel cough vaccine, and then suddenly my, either my dog is coughing or other dogs because the dog is shedding. Can the dog shed virus if it's been given the kennel cough vaccine? So the question comes, one, proving which virus they're shedding. Because if we've just done as we've said, we've opened the door and they get another latent infection, that could be, you know, another influenza virus, a coronavirus, a, a, you know, a pasturella yeah. that they are spreading around and that's causing the problem. It can replicate, but only about two to three times before it becomes so... So it can replicate. Does that mean your dog can? can. It can, but it's not something that's going to cause significant disease. It's not replicating enough. Remember at the beginning, we talked about an incubation period yeah. from infection to actually symptom picture. Okay. And generally, it won't get to a point where it can cause significant symptoms. Okay, okay. Because it's died out too quickly. Uh, cool. Of course, you know, if you put drops up the nose of a bacterium, 
you're going to be able to detect in the mucus that comes back out of yeah, that nose yeah, of course. that material. Is that likely to cause an infection that will go through an incubation period and spread to another dog? Yeah. No, nearly would be the answer, but highly unlikely anyway. I was often of the belief that, you know, I would definitely join the, the posse that said, kennels, you know, my, my, my boarding kennels is insisting on kennel cough, and yet I can bring the dog down the next day, and he's infectious with kennel cough. I definitely would have subscribed to that idea. I thought, well, that makes sense to me. If you're going to put cough into the dog, I would have assumed that there was some sort of uh, connection on. It's a live virus that goes up the nose, or is it a modified dead virus? It's alive. But, so this is the where, because of this latent, you know, the possibility of latent co-infections going on, this is why as a practice we will generally say, look, please give it about seven days before your dog's likely to go into kennels, going into a kennel and mixing with other dogs. So where are you, Bren, on oh, two questions? Okay, I'm going to ask them both now because I'm going to forget the other one. So first question is, where are you on kennel cough vaccine? Do you think dogs need it? And secondly, have you seen many dogs suffer badly with Bordetella? So where are you on your opinion on the need to vaccinate dogs annually with, with uh, this KC vaccine in inverted commas? And secondly, have you seen in your clinic many dogs suffer badly from Bordetella? Um, Bordetella, I have seen dogs suffer badly, but it's not many, okay? Literally half a dozen in my career, okay, of you know, dogs really severely affected. But it's devastating to see. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible disease. And, you know, once it gets established, it can be so hard to get rid of. And they are left almost with the long COVID residual cough and, and respiratory issues. And so, you know, it, it is really important to understand. That. And, you know, the, the heat stroke stuff, you know, if they get it in the summertime, you know, all of the stuff that can be compounding around that means that actually... The severity versus my interpretation of the relative risk means that if, if my dog were going to go into a, an area that I can't control, so they're going to a dog walker or they're going into kennels, okay. then I would definitely consider it. Right. There are some other alternatives that have been out there, and certainly in the face of disease, there was work done by... Chris Day and John Saxton in a kennel environment, not specifically with Bordetella, and it was done in RSPCA kennels in Leeds, quite locally. Um, and they looked at half of the kennels they treated with a placebo, and half of the kennels they treated with a nosode made from the disease of the dog that started to cough. Homeopathic nosode. Yeah, okay. And what they did is they reintroduced that and massively reduced the morbidity, the illness within the dog, cut out the mortality rate, okay? Now, it cut it down by about 50%, which for a nosode, you know, where most yeah. people would say there's nothing in there, brilliant, okay? Did they publish that brand by any chance? Uh, I think they did, back in the mid-'80s. So have a look at that. But it was... Um, Something that when it sort of spawned this whole thing about nosode, and people started to make nosodes out of vaccines, which is not the same thing, okay? And they start to give them as a preventative rather than in the face of disease. And so again, that's different. And they've also 
proposing that if they weaned off the, the frequent dosing that they were getting in the kennel environment in that circumstance, to actually, well, if we give one a month, it's still going to be protective. They're getting antibodies or something like that. There was no evidence for that. Can you just buy your nosoles online and lash them into your dog? So there are um, Bordetella nosodes um, that are available. You've got to be aware if you're going to choose a Bordetella nosode and there's a viral breakout of parainfluenza, okay? yeah. um, if you've got a Pasteurella that's going through a kennels, and you've got a parainfluenza nose, it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah, so it's really important. So there are options out there. Some people will give mixed cough nosodes, so from all of those bacteria and viruses, and give them. Or they will use things like spongia or uh, drosera, which are two specific cough remedies, okay, uh, which can be really effective for that irritating cough. Okay, as a preventative. Uh, no, as a treatment. So if you start to treat them, you dive in with immune stimulants and, you know, all of the uh, things. So vetro-DMG, uh, you know, dimethylglycine, that is, sorry, um, through to N-acetylcysteine. We've talked about in the past, there's uh, a few other things that can help with echinacea, you know, vitamin Cs, yeah. you know, all of those things that we would talk about to try and help the immune system activate and get over the, the infection. Yeah, so your dog's a very sociable dog. Do you put kennel cough vaccine in your dog? Uh, if we're going away um, yeah. and they're not staying with family, so we've been fortunate enough to the majority of times, yeah. but there have been three or four times that we have given them the kennel cough vaccine and they've gone into a kennel. So, yeah, so concluding thoughts then on kennel cough. Like, actually, you've already, you've already given us your concluding thought because the concluding thought would be what would you do if there is a situation where you think your dog is going to be in daycare or, uh, or you're going away and he's not coming with you, uh, then you might consider it. And as you're saying, it is very safe. It doesn't come with all the baggage that I thought it did. Uh, and it seems pretty safe from, a, from the other dogs in the park point of view, although you might just be wary for the few days after because latent infections, that's, that's, that's pretty unlikely because this vaccine is very unlikely to cause a cough in the dog. It just doesn't get the time to cook and get ready to, to, to replicate that is all really, really interesting because if that's new to me, that has got to be new to a good few people or I am way behind. And so do you recommend, Brent, when people come into your clinic, is that a recommendation each year that a kennel cough is to be considered? Or do you like, how do you let them decide? How do we, how can we decide anything? I asked the questions. You've got, you know, WSAVA specifically, they don't say it's a core vaccine, okay? It yeah. is not something that needs to be given every year to every dog. And I don't give it every year to my dog only certain circumstances. If they mix with a couple of dogs, you know, they're reasonably sociable, but actually they're working dogs. They tend to pay attention to me. And if another dog comes along, they might give them a brief sniff, but then they just go, yeah, whatever, you're a dog. Uh, so, yeah. you know, from a point of view of if you've got a dog who's very sociable, constantly going to daycare, constantly going to kennels, then you've got to risk assess that they're more likely to need that protection. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If they are dogs um, that are very distant, bit remote, not that sociable, the likelihood that your dog needs it, I would not give them the vaccine because yeah. they could pick up one of those latent infections yeah. and start having another issue. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to stimulate their system yeah. if they aren't at risk. Yeah. If you were considering the vaccine, it'd be a yearly thing because there's a, it, it, it just wanes. That's how long it lasts for. That's really, really interesting. 
Uh, I think we should wrap it up there. What we thought was going yeah. to, that was just brilliant. I thought it was going to be 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. But like, there were some serious questions answered there. And I'm after writing them all down here because I want to blog about it. But guys, uh, if you enjoy the content, guys, please check out our Patreon page here. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics. This really helps us. Like, we're just after giving an hour of our time picking brands' brains. And like, this is one of the top bets in the countries. And we are lucky to get this information because no doubt it has straightened out kennel cough for hundreds and thousands of people. That are, we get thousands of people watching our videos now in a week. So uh, it really helps us, guys. If you can do patreon.com so we can keep people like Brent and Nick in the seats so we can keep picking their brains. Uh, and it really helps. So a price of a cup of coffee, if you have it per month, is great. If you don't have it, don't be stressing at all. You know, if you do, we'd very much appreciate it, you know, so. I uh, hope you've had a great week. Yes, absolutely. Talk soon, guys. <laughs> Blind, 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 blind,